Welcome back to another edition of the Volunteer State. We could call it the Open Date edition of the Volunteer State, but now we're going to go with the Tennessee Beats Florida edition of the Volunteer State because it's only happened now two times in the last 18 matchups, but one of those times was Saturday. Hinton Hooker led Tennessee to a 38-33 victory. I'm Blake Topmeyer here to discuss it with me, Adam Sparks and John Adams of the Knoxville News Sentinel. We will take a look ahead as Tennessee sort of hits the pause button here in the open date. But first, let's take a look backward because Tennessee got that key rivalry victory on Saturday, 38-33. Guys, I thought just Hendon Hooker was fantastic. He continues to mask maybe some other issues this team faces um, but still important victory had to have it what did you guys think out of what you saw out of Tennessee on Saturday yeah I think the part that you just said about masking other other problems I'm thinking more and more that Josh Hopple is okay with that the reputation that he has had for you know a number of years certainly at UCF was that he's going to put up a ton of offense his defenses are not going to be very good he's just going to score a lot of points and that's going to be good enough and uh you know I mean he's not a guy that wears his emotions on his sleeve so behind closed doors he could be you know throwing chairs through windows or something at the fact that this the that the defense is giving up so much in the past defense specifically but on the surface I, I see a guy that is perfectly fine with just you know give me the ball back and I'll go score again and I think that's what they are that's what they're going to be uh, and I think we saw it in that game uh Hendon Hooker as long as he's upright and healthy um they're going to score a whole lot of points I don't know that they're going to run into a defense that's going to stop them I think some are coming we can talk about later that could slow them but not ones that will stop them I'm sure you guys probably felt this too during the Florida game there was two or three of those moments when you thought, well, this is where the game flips like it has in the past. Florida getting an early lead, but then that was countered by Tennessee's 99-yard drive of Florida uh, getting the getting the touchdown late in the onside kick. Uh, you know, I, there was a few media members still left in the press box at the uh, there in the last minute. Most of them had gone down to the field, but I looked over at one of the guys beside me and uh, when Florida scored that last touchdown to make it 38-33, uh, I said, Felipe Franks is warming up on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> and because that felt like, oh, boy, here, here comes a Hail Mary, a last-second play, and this thing's about to go Florida's way. But give Josh Hopple and Hendon Hooker and this team credit for doing what past Tennessee teams had not done, and that is holding back sort of that bad vibe and countering it with enough, enough good plays to win this game. Yeah, piggybacking off what uh, Adam said, Josh Heupel is is really comfortable in these high-scoring games. He's comfortable coaching in those games, and and I don't think all coaches are. Even though this is an offensive error, some coaches still think, well, I, I think I got enough points here. I can be a little more conservative. You really can't do that against Tennessee, and to his credit, Billy Napier, Florida's coach, wasn't. He kept going for it on fourth down. He knew he had to score more points. And I think that's pretty much the approach most teams need to take to Tennessee, that they're going to have to score a lot of points to win because Tennessee can score so fast that just in a blink, all of a sudden they've got more points on the board. 
And so it's as though uh, Heupel has other teams kind of playing his game right now. We'll see how it plays out the rest of the year. Don't don't you guys think that's that, that's one of the better differences between Josh Heupel's team and past teams? I, I, I said this when Heupel got here and started off his tenure last year was that one thing the past coaches had not didn't have is that they were not great at one thing. Um, Tennessee has some obvious weaknesses right now, especially on defense, but they are better than pretty much any opponent at one thing. And that's that up-tempo offense. And I think John makes a great point is that Tennessee teams of the past, let's say decade plus did not go into games where the opponent said, before it's kicked off, hey, we have to change to their style. We have to go ahead and play to what Tennessee does well rather than what we do well. I think that's a huge difference in an advantage for this team that, that Pasman's did not have. Yeah, and I think the other thing that is encouraging with the way Tennessee's doing it is, you know, there's not a ton of like five-star guys running around on this offense. I mean, Hinden Hooker has reinvented himself under Josh Heupel. He came here to play for Jeremy Pruitt. Pruitt was still the coach when he signed. Now he quickly got on board with the idea of Josh Heupel. As I wrote after the game, the best gift a quarterback could ever receive when Jeremy Pruitt's your coach is a coaching change. And two weeks after, after Hooker signed, they changed coaches. But, you know, when he came here, he had lost the starting job at Virginia Tech. That's why he was transferring. He's a graduate, tra- I mean, uh, among other reasons, but... He'd been replaced during that last season at, at Virginia Tech and was his split starter. So, you know, he wasn't a sure thing when he came here. You look at this wide receiver group, you know, Cedric Tillman, I know he didn't play Saturday, but he's been great during the Hypel era. He was like a project player un- under Jeremy Pruitt, was kind of the last one of the last players in a signing class, not, you know, not a recruiting star. And, and he's flourished in this system. You look at an offensive line that was a bugaboo of the team throughout the Pruitt era, all of a sudden this offensive line looks fine. I mean, it's it's a system that is quarterback-friendly. Uh, it puts defenses into conflict. And if you got a guy at the controls that can make smart decisions, which Hendon Hooker has consistently done, I, I think it, it really – put you in position to, to thrive. And, and I think maybe that's the most encouraging thing because this program is going to accumulate more talent, I think, as Hypel is settled in here. But already the offense looks awfully good, um, you know, with, with a bunch of three- and four-star guys, for the most part, running around out there. Sometimes on Sundays I will send out, I'll, I'll tweet out uh, some updated stats or rankings, of usually Hendon Hooker. And, and this week that I, I did it as well, he leads the SEC in total offense and passer rating, and he's top 10 in a number of things nationally. Um, and what I always get out of those tweets um, is I get a ton of quote tweets from Virginia Tech fans. Uh-huh. And it's always just tagging Virginia Tech of, of Virginia Tech football how could you have let this happen? You let a Heisman Trophy candidate walk out the door. Um, you know, I don't. I don't think Hinton Hooker, if he had stayed around Virginia Tech, it would have. I don't think he would have splashed in this way anywhere close to this. He probably wasn't even going to start, which is why he left. Um, but you know, I, I think Blake, what you laid out is sort of a funny conversation that I, I hear Tennessee fans having a lot, which is it, it's sort of competing thoughts. One is that. 
they're great on offense right now because of Hendon Hooker. He's, you know, I mean, a guy that can run for 100 and throw for 300 and make the type of plays that he makes and is comfortable in this offense. And he's statistically the most efficient quarterback in Tennessee history right now. I mean, the guy since starting early last season has thrown two picks as a starter. Um, and he's, what, at 45-something, I think, uh, touchdowns total, rushing and passing. I mean, those are unbelievable numbers. So you have that 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 argument that they're winning and they're doing so well in offense because of that quarterback, but then you've got the counter-argument, which is, well, this is Josh Hopple's system. Because, you, you, you know, you could plug whatever quarterback in there and they'd be good because, look, Hendon Hooker was a castaway from Virginia Tech and – you know, it strengthened that argument even more that Cedric Tillman, one of the best receivers in college football, is unavailable. And Ramel Keaton, who's a clear-cut number two, I mean, he's just uh, he's, he's fine. He's serviceable as a backup, comes in and makes the biggest catch of the game and makes two or three other big catches. And um, it looks like just sort of plug-and-play type guys. And, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see that play out because I think I could kind of buy into both of them. They're great on offense because they're quarterbacks. They're great on offense because of, of the design of the offense. Yeah, I think it's a combination. I don't think any quarterback could put up the kind of numbers that Hinton Hooker does. But I do think a hypo system gets more receivers open and gets them open wider than is any system I've ever seen. I mean – consistently you see Tennessee receivers just running wide open. You saw that against Florida and Hendon Hooker certainly capitalized on that. I think Hendon Hooker has a, uh, a couple of traits that are the, the combo is rare in that he's a playmaker. He can create stuff on his own. He's got really good instincts for when to run, when to stay in the pocket, when to scramble, but he also is so careful with the football a lot of guys that, that scramble and make plays like that, they tend to force things. They try to get away with things, and and he doesn't do that. I think that's a rare combination. So I think it's a, a perfect marriage between a system and a quarterback who can thrive in the system and then turn it up a notch and create even more outside the system. You, you know, last week when we found out Cedric Tillman was hurt, I, I looked through, you know, the – past couple of games and tried to figure out how they would replace him. If it would be Brew McCoy and Cedric spot, or if it Ramel Keaton, or you swap them or you do something with Jalen Hutt. And I was trying to see how they would use Cedric Tillman on the field side or the boundary side. If they would put him in twins with Jalen Hutt or that he would be on his own to see specifically, you know, who would be replacing who uh, at X, Y, and Z, so to speak is the, you know, that's the, the designations of the receivers. And one thing that caught me looking at said where Cedric Tillman was, it was at least to the untrained eye, terribly unpredictable. And then when I saw how they used Ramel Keaton this week, just plugging him in there, I think if I'm a defense, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, well, Jalen Hyde is with Keaton on one side. Well, now Brew McCoy is now one of them is one of them's in the slot. One of them's uh, on the line. Well, now we're, Princeton Fant is apparently the guy that's in twins, that he's the, the tight end that's out in the slot. No, 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 it's Jacob Warren. And two or three of those plays when guys were wide open, it was combinations of receivers and tight ends that I had not seen earlier in the game. And then you've got guys running in motion that you had not seen with 
the previous receivers in that position, and, and you just saw g- busted coverages in ways that if they were if if opponents are locking in on personnel and groupings, I mean that's why these guys make a lot of money. But I, I don't see how you could necessarily predict what groupings or what receivers point to a certain play. It looks like Josh Hopple has like a thousand different combinations of what he's doing offensively. Now I'm going to rain on the parade here after after all of this because uh, you know it was interesting after the game I heard from a lot of Tennessee fans I'm sure you guys did too of well yeah we beat Florida that's great but a why did it get so close at the end why didn't Tennessee put him away and b that defense did not look good and I want to get in more to number two there because as far as why Tennessee didn't put him away you know, I thought the biggest issue at the end of the game was Tennessee didn't recover the onside kick. If they recover the onside kick, yes, the score gets closer, but there's not the drama at the end. So that was, to me, the biggest issue at the end of the game. They didn't recover the onside kick. However, the defense, that is an issue that does not appear to be going away. The pass defense, you know, I mean, at times, Anthony Richardson's biggest challenge was deciding which open receiver to throw it to. Anthony Richardson, who had been bottled up by Kentucky and South Florida, all of a sudden, once again, looked like he could be a Heisman finalist with Hendon Hooker the way he was playing on Saturday. I mean, this, this defense did really very little, I thought, to contribute to the victory other than Amari Thomas's key force fumble to stop a red zone drive in the, in the fourth quarter. And so question is, you know, we said Hinden hooker can mask a lot, but with this defense, you know, does that still leave Tennessee vulnerable to a Alabama and Georgia? Yes. But maybe even first game out of this open date at LSU an improving LSU team you know, how concerned should Tennessee be about its defense? Yeah, I mean, the pass defense is the issue. The, the The running defense has been fine. Mobile quarterbacks, I think, still give them issues. But, you know, if you... <laughs> QLSU, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, but, you know, the I thought they did okay in, in keeping Anthony Richardson from... I mean, his longest run was 11 yards. That's You, you can live with that. You, you don't want him breaking a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of runs. You don't want him converting every third or fourth down, which they they did the fourth downs. I don't think necessarily because Anthony Richardson's feet. The issue is the pass defense, and you could tell at the end of the game, Tennessee was trying to figure out some personnel that would work, and they went sort of deep in the bag. And I don't think they ever found a good option. Warren Burrell was out. You know, Warren Burrell has uh, been poked at a little bit as being sort of the maybe a weak link in their coverage. Um, when he's out, they're worse. Um, you know, I, I think that says something. Uh, you know, War, uh, Warren Burrell, eventually they'll get back, I think. You know, Kamal Haddon is uh, is probably their most talented corner, but he's sort of all or nothing. He got the pick at the end of the game, but he also got burned a number of times before that. Uh, Christian Charles is a guy who has moved from safety to corner, and he's still trying to figure out the position. He gets lost in coverage sometimes. You saw them late in the game going to Brandon Turnage, who had barely played this season, um, which was a little bit of a head-scratcher. You thought he was good when he played last year in short stints. Maybe you should give him a try, and then he got out there, and he didn't, and, and he looked lost. So maybe the coaches knew what they were, knew what they were doing. Um, 
I think in this off week, they're really going to have to figure out what else they can do in the secondary. And I just don't know that they have options. You know, Juwan Mitchell, the Texas transfer at linebacker, um, he saw him dropping into coverage a whole lot. Uh, I think they were trying to figure out if maybe he could be a little more of a help because last year they had issues with, with Banks and Beasley at linebacker and pass coverage. So I think no matter who they put back there, whether it's their base nickel or dropping a linebacker back more, uh, new corners, different safeties, they've used a couple of guys at star. No matter what combinations they use, none of them seem to work by, again, my untrained eye. And I think that's what that's what the, the off week will be trying to figure out. I just don't know if they have really – a good way to go. I don't think the personnel are necessarily there. Maybe they end up going to some younger guys, but that's even, you even run the risk even more so there. I thought the pass rush is fine. It's not good, but it's, it's serviceable. It's good enough. Uh, it, it made the only plays in the pass game, stopping the pass game that Tennessee made in that game. But Brian Kelly will have a plan. There's no doubt about that. And any team that plays Tennessee is going to look at this game and say, you're going to have to play Tennessee's game. You're going to have to throw it a bunch. You're going to have to move the ball it's always four down territory because you feel like you're pretty, pretty confident. You can, you can get a first down if you have four chances against this defense. Sometimes I, I wonder if uh, Josh Heupel has taken the Paul Westhead approach. Remember when he was a basketball coach at Loyola Marymount and his, his entire goal was to just make the other opponent play as fast as possible, completely ignore defense and just try to score at every opportunity and get the other team playing that way. The other team would have, open layups at their at the uh Loyola's end but he didn't care as long as he was forcing that tempo so maybe that has something to do with uh what's going on with Tennessee's defense because I really thought Florida's best chance of beating Tennessee was to slow the, the game down to run the ball I thought it had pretty good running backs offensive line was playing much better than last year so I thought it could run the clock run the ball didn't turn out that way at all Tennessee Maybe that's what Tennessee was planning on because it stopped the run. And then as it turned out, Florida went into a kind of an up-tempo game, at least a wide open game and tried to capitalize on Tennessee's secondary. As it feels like expectations are starting to soar for Tennessee. I mean, the Vols are ranked number nine in the coaches poll this week. And, and uh, you know, a lot of fans are, are really excited. I think about this team after a 4-0 start and I think a fan base that had sort of cautiously optimistic expectations coming into the season are now flying high. And it's like, okay, need to win at least 10 games here and maybe give Alabama or Georgia a scare. I I feel like, you know, at this point, the team I saw Saturday is like a nine and three team. I think they're going to lose to Alabama and Georgia still. And I just think that defense is going to be exploited enough to where there's going to be a game where Hinden Hooker, you know, isn't going to put up like 450 yards of total offense or something, and and Tennessee drops one. I, I think it could be, you know, this next game at LSU. What do you guys think? Are are you starting to think now? Hey, maybe this is a 10 and two team. Uh, are you are you worried that defense could trip this team up? And, and what do you think just about the the soaring expectations? I mean, I guess it's just kind of. Uh, comes with the territory of being 4-0 and of, of September. Yeah, I mean, in the preseason, I remember saying that I thought Tennessee was would be about 8-4, and 
and they were closer to nine and three than seven and five. I think the way that I put it was nine and three was at least plausible. I I, I would change it now to say nine and three is actually reasonable. Um, you know, I I thought they had like five toss up games. One of those I no longer feel like is a toss up game, and that's South Carolina. Two of the toss up games they've already won: Pittsburgh and, and Florida. And so I, I think then it comes down to LSU and Kentucky. I mean, we're all counting, at least I think we're all counting Alabama and Georgia as losses. And then you've still, you know, got a mulligan there to, to lose another and still finish nine and three. You know, I've had a, a few people say to me uh, over the weekend that, well, Tennessee is a top 10 team. They're probably not one of the best 10 teams in the country, but they do have a top 10 ranking. And and my, you know, my response to that is, there's a lot of teams that don't look like top 10 teams already. I, I mean, I think this is going to be, even if you look in the SEC, I think this is going to be sort of a parody type year. Um, you know, Texas A&M has already shown flaws because they took a terrible loss. Arkansas has shown some flaws because they just, they just lost to A&M. I don't think Ole Miss is a complete team. Um, you know, Kentucky has a quarterback, but can they run the ball as well? Does he have, does he have help around him? I think we can pick out more flaws in SEC teams early in the season than we can in, in past seasons. And so for that, Tennessee is as good as anybody in the conference right now, not named Georgia and Alabama. And so for that, I think I would think nine and three is reasonable. Ten and two is plausible. I, I, I think it really is, because if we're looking on paper right now, how many games will Tennessee not be favored in? Two maybe three LSU is going to be a tough trip, but, but I, I think they have pretty reasonable chances of winning that game. Even if they lose it, I still like, I like the distance that they put between them and South Carolina, Missouri, certainly Vanderbilt in, in those type of games. I think they are definitely an upper echelon team where they have to play poorly to lose those games. I'm surprised at fan reaction in one way. Yes. Fans are really optimistic, I'm surprised uh, Tennessee fans have been as critical in, in their emails to me. I mean, they're really harping on that defense. And that I, I thought fans would just be so excited to be 4-0 and and to beat Florida. And I was getting a quite, quite an opposite message of like, yeah, well, we beat Florida, but we were really lucky. The defense was horrible. And so it's as though – fans have already jumped to the next level. They're no longer thinking about, hey, let's put all those Jeremy Pruitt, Butch Jones uh, days behind us and and go win nine games. And now it seems like they're thinking in terms of, hey, let's let's compete with the big boys and certainly help that the ranking help, helps foster that thinking. Uh, but I I do I, I thought Tennessee would be nine and three and that was a bit optimistic maybe I thought that in preseason now I'm leaning more to ten and two I just think the two games to me there are only two games that I think of as really swing games Kentucky and LSU and Kentucky's history against Tennessee particularly in Neyland Stadium is awful and as Adam pointed out it's not running the ball well like it used to. I think that would certainly favor Tennessee in that game. And and even LSU, LSU is playing better since I had an opener against Florida state, but it's still got some, it's still got a few glitches. And I thought a significant injury was to safety major Burns, who had been a really good player for LSU early in the season. 
and I think he's out for about a month. So he won't play against Tennessee, and you need good safeties against Tennessee. So I think this thing is unfolding really well for the Vols. Uh, but again, it's I'm surprised that uh, Tennessee fans are, are are really are really critical, and that tells me they think they can they're ready to compete for a championship. Some of these fans. Yeah, John, I, I like your interpretation of that because I've I've gotten the same you know tone of emails where it's more critical than celebratory and critical of the defense. And I think you're right. I think it's that they sense that you know this is the last year they have Hendon Hooker that there's some other pieces on offense. They feel like they're all put together and yeah, fans have now gone into the, you can make a run at it this year, but you can't beat Georgia and you can't beat Alabama with that defense. That's how fans thinking are. So their expectations have raised, but, but then their, their frustrations are that something could hold them back from what their now heightened expectations are. I think it's all about the timing and having this quarterback and thinking the door is suddenly open. I, I tend to hear a lot of things from, you know, my beat writer friends that cover that cover Alabama and Georgia, and I'm sure you guys get the same thing, in that sometimes those teams, their fans will will be more critical, especially in, in games early in the season because they're saying, well, you're not going to win a national title with, that left tackle, you know, you're not going to win a national title with, with, with that safety. You're not going to win a national title if you can't convert on fourth and one. And I, that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting a little bit from Tennessee fans of, well, Hey, we, we know this team can go nine and three, at least 10 and two, maybe, but you can't beat Georgia with that pass defense. You can't beat Alabama with that pass defense. That's, that's the sense that I'm getting from Tennessee fans. Yeah, so that, that that's a good point. Alabama fans are are like that. They're they pick at any little nit they see in a you know in a in a victory of well, you know yeah we won, but are you going to win it all with with problem X? That's that's a good point. Which uh, hey, I guess credit to to Tennessee and Josh Heupel and Hinton Hooker and the momentum they've built that you know just a year and a half into his tenure, not even a year and a half into his tenure, Tennessee is is now at the point where we can can pick at the, 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 the stuff in, in victories, you know, can cr- make critiques and victories because it used to be, you know, not so long ago that there were so many disasters and losses. You, you were just thinking like, boy, Tennessee just needs to get competitive in some of these games. I mean, we all remember the Jeremy Pruitt closing the gap quote um, <laughs> after his team just got trounced by Alabama. And it wasn't just that they were losing to bad teams and mediocre teams as, as well. So certainly, you know, much has changed in not even a, a year and a half uh, or a season and a half, I should say, under under Josh Heupel. Uh, guys, the last thing I want to touch on briefly, uh, and I wrote about this coming out of the game. I think it's too soon to have a serious debate about Heisman Trophy at this point in the season. You know, we're, we're just one month into the year, and we all know that the Heisman all performances are not treated equally. The way voters approach this, what you do in November or December conference championship games has outsized weight as compared to what you do in September. You know, um, I mean, look at Aiden Hutchison, the Michigan State, or excuse me, the Michigan defensive end last year. He was a good player for most of the season, but he wasn't considered like among the top couple guys for the Heisman. And then he has three sacks against Ohio State, and all of a sudden he finishes second in the Heisman. 
So, but all that being said, you know, there's Heisman chatter all season long. And I think it's worth discussing at this point, a month into the season of Hendon Hooker's credentials. I, I think he put himself in the Heisman conversation with the way he played against Florida. Tennessee, of course, has never had a Heisman winner. They've had four runners up, most recently Peyton Manning in 1997 in a controversial finish. What do you guys think about the chances for Hendon Hooker and this award going forward? Because I think, you know, with this system, this quarterback-friendly system, and it also with this tempo, it lengthens games. You know he's going to get a lot of possessions. He's going to, you know, have a lot of chances to pile up yards. And he's going to have a couple of chances against marquee opponents in Alabama and Georgia to have signature games. I mean, those those are so big for Heisman voters. What do you do in the biggest games like in Alabama or Georgia? What do you guys think about Hooker's chances, you know, as this unfolds the next couple months? Yeah, off the top of my head, uh, and I say this as a, as a Heisman voter, I, I think in the modern age, there's sort of three things that can get you to New York and in in a, as, a, as, a, as a Heisman finalist, especially as a quarterback. Quarter, uh, stats, that's one. Hendon Hooker has a mostly a plus in that category. Uh, I will say one one hindrance to him is that most of his stats are efficiency, uh, you know, lack of interceptions, like stats that are very appreciate that you can appreciate, coaches appreciate, your own fans appreciate. But I, I don't think he's going to have as many eye popping stats. Um, you know, he's. He leads the SEC in total offense right now. I don't think he's going to lead the country, so to speak. Um, stats, mostly a plus, but not, not completely. Uh, number two, a quarterback on any elite team. That means a national title contender. Um, that could be the case, but you'd have to beat Georgia or and or Alabama to do it. Um, so that's you know that's that's pretty tough hurdle. Um, and number three, you have to have a Heisman moment. I hate this one. But that's that's the the age that we live in, um, and he would have to have those probably against Alabama or Georgia. So, I mean, I think you 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 hit it there, Blake. That this really all comes down to him as a fringe uh, candidate or a serious candidate based on what he does in those two games. And I think his numbers would be pretty good in those games. I mean, he 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 was fine against those teams last year. Um, you know, put up good numbers uh, against Alabama and the, the team did too. But if you lose both of those games, I think it's a good story up till midseason and then it's over. If if they were to even lose a close one to Alabama and he puts up numbers like he did against uh, um, against Florida, he's still in the conversation going into the Georgia game. Yeah, I think your team has to be in the running for a national championship for you to have a shot at the Heisman. Uh, that's just kind of the way it's played out uh, so far. Uh, and you look at the the team, the players uh, that are in the mix, you look at uh, Stroud at Ohio State, you look at, of course, Bryce Young, the defending Heisman Trophy winner at Alabama, even Stetson Bennett at Georgia now. The really good teams seem to have really good quarterbacks for the most part. So that I just think for Hendon Hooker to have a legitimate shot He's got to beat Alabama or Georgia and then play really well. And I don't think Tennessee could beat those teams unless he played extraordinarily well. And and you talk about a Heisman moment, uh, Adam. 
Bryce Young has had those. It's not just stats with him. The way he led uh, Alabama down the field last year in the dying moments of that game against Auburn, that was Tom Brady-like. And then he did it again this year against Texas. You talk about a Heisman play. Was he when he Blake was at this game? Uh, when he ducked under that blitzing uh, lineman from uh, for Texas, ducked under him and then ran for about twenty yards. That to me was a Heisman moment. So if Alabama keeps winning, I really like Bryce Young's chances. But I think I think Hinton Hooker is a good possibility he could make it to New York. But Tennessee, to me, has to go at least 10 and 2 for him to do that. Yeah, two two final thoughts on that, guys. I, I wrote this in a column the other day. Seven of the, the last eight Heisman winners were on teams that made the college football playoff. So that's to your points of about, you know, need to beat Alabama or Georgia. Seven of the last eight guys that won this award made the playoff. I don't necessarily think that's that's right. It's not always the way I vote. Um, and I don't think it's always the way you guys vote, but you know, just in terms of there's a lot of voters out there and, and on average, a lot of voters are voting for, you know, a player off one of the nation's best teams. Um, and so I think that's, that, that is, uh, significant, I, I would say. And, uh, you know, too, you guys talk about Heisman moments and, and I think that's, that's so true, you know, even in defeat, I think really to be a serious contender, Hinton Hooker will have to have some sort of head-turning play against an Alabama or Georgia, you know, that that you know pushes the game to the wire or something like that, and leaves people talking about, "Wow, Tennessee almost beat Georgia because of the way Hinton Hooker played." Um, and it, it just—I don't know if it's it's fair that that's the way it is, but it's reality. And so, you know, as this game moves into the rearview mirror, so much of Hinton Hooker's chances will will kind of be decided, I think, by a couple of games. And and also, I mean, you know he's going to put up good numbers against Missouri and Vanderbilt. I think that's the other reason is we're not thinking about, well, is he going to struggle later in the season? No, he's, he's going to be fine against those guys. He has to be good against the big dogs too, I think, uh, to win the award. But he could be in New York even if Tennessee doesn't. I, I believe John said this. Even if Tennessee doesn't beat Alabama or Georgia, I think he could be there uh, – you know, just, just by playing well throughout the rest of the season. All right, guys, enjoy the open date. Hope you get to watch a lot of the action around the SEC. And we will be back next week with a closer look at Tennessee's trip to LSU. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.